Blessed Lord, who caused all Holy Scripture to be written for our learning, grant that we may hear them and read, mark, and inwardly digest them, that we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life which you have given us in our Savior Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. When I uh, asked uh, the, the readings for the lectionary text today and found out what they were and began to get my mind and heart uh, reading and pondering in relationship to them, I had a memory come back to me from over 60 years ago. Um, I don't think I've thought of this one time since it actually happened until this week when I was preparing this sermon. I grew up in a West Texas town named Haskell, a little town of about 3,000 people. The Chamber of Commerce had a sign on each one of the roads leading into town, home of 3,000 friendly folks and a few grouchy ones. Now, growing up in Haskell, sometimes we thought, as children and teenagers, they might have got those phrases reversed, but... That's another story for another time. Um, We had one bank, and uh, one day my dad said to me, Steve, let's go to the bank. Now, this is not the only time that he did that. Uh, I would go to the bank with him uh, quite a bit, actually. But on that particular day, when we walked into the Haskell National Bank, dad turned left and headed straight for the president's office. Now, you might not do that in Maitland. Uh, But in Haskell, it was okay. And it was even more okay for Dad to do it because the president of the bank, whose name was Abe Turner, was a member of Dad's men's Sunday school class at the Methodist Church. And they were occasional golfing buddies when Abe could take an early afternoon off and get out to the country club. So Dad went straight into Abe's office because no one else was in there and sat down. And, and as Abe would probably do with every customer who came in and sat in his office, he said, Joe, what brings you here today? And Dad said, uh, well, I was down at Bill Wilson Motor Company and I saw a car uh, and I think I want to get it. And Abe, I, and I don't remember all of this, but I'm sure asked him what kind of car it was and And uh, said, well, I guess you're here to get a loan. And Dad said, yep, going to need a little extra money in order to get the car. And Abe Turner, this is what I remember, got up from his uh, chair behind his desk as president of the bank and walked around in front of the desk and stuck out his hand and shook Dad's hand. Now, in West Texas, that's when you seal the deal. Uh, Dad had the money as soon as Abe Turner shook his hand. Now, now I know there was paperwork to fill out. I know there were interest rates to negotiate and monthly payments and all that kind of stuff, forms to sign. But the money belonged to my father the moment that Abe Turner's hand shook my dad's hand. And I, I, even at five years old, I knew what that handshake meant. Now, the funny thing is, as I read the texts which have just been read in your hearing, I thought about that moment. And to me, these texts represent to us God's handshake. Isaiah 
44, which when you read it, uh, your mind goes in two directions almost at the same time. It goes back to Exodus chapter 3, where Moses encounters God in the burning bush and realizes that God is calling him to go back to Egypt and to lead the children of Israel out of bondage. And Moses, among other things, says to God, I can't go back there uh, without knowing your name because I'll go back to Egypt. And they'll say, so what God has, has authorized you to be here? And in that moment, if I stutter and stammer, even though I'm not a good speaker to begin with, you know, if I can't tell them your name, uh, they'll uh, do bad things to me, I guess. And God says, well, then you tell them I am has sent you. And if you read Isaiah 44, and I hope you'll take your little worship folder and reread these texts this afternoon and see if you see in there what I saw, uh, God brings that up again. I am it's, it's right in that passage. And, and then God says, I am the first and the last. And your mind goes immediately to the book of Revolution, Re- Revelation in the first chapter where this dazzling, glorious Christ who almost blinds the eyes of St. John the Apostle says to John, I'm the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega. And here, right in this Isaiah passage where your Bible unfolds, you've got this mountain peak of God's revelation. It continues in the Psalms as the psalmist understands the glory of God, but understands it in the midst of having enemies and avengers. And, and then you go to Paul in Romans and he understands that the whole creation is in the process of, of being restored to what God has intended for it to be. And then you get to Matthew. And this week, the, 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 the gospel lesson for me was like the way I wake up in the morning. I wake up in a world of wheat and weeds. I wake up every morning and some things I discover are pleasing and some things are painful. This has been a weeds week in the world. And I don't even have to recount some of that because it's been in our faces through every multimedia resource that we have it's been a terrible week a tragic week it's been a week when we've seen as the philosophers put it man's inhumanity to man Jeannie we left the service at five o'clock and went back home and she found on social media some information that right now on the planet there are 41 different wars being fought some little ones some big ones some that make the news some that don't it's been a weeds week but I don't have to look around the world to see weeds and wheat all I have to do is look in my own life my my heart is a mixture of weeds and wheat. There's some things I'm happy with and some things I'm not happy with. There's some pleasures in my life. There's some pains in my life. There's some things I'm proud of. There's some things I'm embarrassed by. I, I, I don't have to go to the Middle East to find weeds and wheat. All I have to do is look in the mirror and realize that this Matthew passage, in addition to talking about how things are in the world, is also talking about how things are in me. And so what keeps us from succumbing to discouragement and despair? What keeps us from giving up 
It's that Isaiah 44 passage. It's the Psalms. It's, it's Paul's words of saying that God has gotten up from behind the desk and come to us as the I am God. The God who there is no other like me, God says. I know of no other God like me. It's that God who gets up behind the desk, walks around and shakes our hand and says, you can depend on that. Even when you get up in the morning and see weeds in your field. Wow. <laughs> I need that. Because I'm a weeds wheat guy. What comes along with that is immensely significant. For one thing, uh, when God shakes our hand, we're given faith. I wish you could have met Joy Godin. She was one of those people whose personality matched her name. She was a woman of joy. Uh, we came to know uh, her and her husband, Jim, when we were appointed to be the pastoral family at Wesley United Methodist Church in Borger, Texas. Uh, when we got there, Jim and Joy were two of the first people that we met, and they welcomed us with open arms. And Joy wanted Jeannie and me to know that just a few weeks before we arrived, the doctor in Borger had declared her cancer-free. She was not only joy Godin, she was rejoicing joy because uh, that disease which had, had harmed her was now gone. And we shared in that joy with her and with Jim. About a year, year and a half later, the phone rang one morning and Joy was on the other end of it. And I could tell as soon as I heard her voice, something was wrong. And what was wrong was the cancer had come back. And it came back this time with a vengeance, an aggressiveness that put her immediately into the hospital. And I began to visit her day in, day out, until the day that the doctor in Borger, we had a good hospital, but it wasn't a large, sophisticated one. The doctor in Borger said to Joy and Jim, we've done everything we can for Joy here. We're going to send her to MD Anderson in Houston. So they arranged for an air ambulance to come from Amarillo, Texas, and to land at our little local airport. And Jeannie and I drove out uh, to be with Jim and Joy as they got into that airplane to fly away for what would most likely be, and in fact turned out to be, the last time that we ever saw her uh, alive on this earth. Got out of the car, walked over to where she was on the stretcher, and you know, as a pastor... And not just because it's your job, but you feel like there's, there's something I ought to say to Joy, even though words were failing me. And in fact, we had shared most of the words that needed to be shared. Uh, I, I can remember the day I went to the hospital and said to Joy, you know, let's pray. And she said, oh, let's don't pray. She said, I know you're praying for me all the time. Sit down and let's just talk a little more. Joy, Joy didn't need me to say one more prayer to prove to her I was praying. But because she knew her time was slipping away, she just wanted to have a little more time to talk. Well, there we were at the airport, and I stared down into Joy's face, and all that I could think to say was, Joy, it's going to be okay. She looked up from that stretcher to me, out of eyes, in a place where I have never had to go myself. And she said to me, Steve, it is okay. And I carry that in my heart to this very moment as I share it with you. Joy Godin could sing the song, Though the wrong 
seems oft so strong. God is the ruler yet. Joy, it's going to be okay. Steve, it is okay. She had received God's handshake. The handshake of faith. God's handshake includes hope. I wish you could have met C.B. Mulder. 1987, I, I felt a nudge from the Holy Spirit to become a trained tutor in the Literacy Volunteer of America program. I'd never done that before, but I, I just felt it was something I was supposed to do. So I went through the training and became a, a tutor in the uh, LVA uh, program and showed up for my first night and there was a group of students and here were a group of tutors. We were assigned to our tutor and, and I was assigned C.B. Mulder. Little did I know that uh, for the next three years, except for summer breaks, that C.B. and I would get together almost every week. In fact, we got to know each other so well, instead of just having a tutoring time, we'd end up at Denny's with hot fudge cake. Uh, but one of the things we were supposed to do uh, was to say to our student on that first night, why did you decide that you wanted to learn to read? And C.B.'s answer to me was, so that I wouldn't hurt my wife. Now, that was a strange answer. Uh, at least it struck me that way. And so I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, a few weeks ago, my wife was in the hospital and when she was dismissed, the doctor gave me a palm full of prescriptions to fill. And when I got home, I realized I couldn't read any of the instructions on the bottle. I didn't know whether I was supposed to give her one pill every four hours or two pills every 12 hours. I, I didn't know which pill I was supposed to give her now or later. It, it was just numbers and letters on a bottle, and I couldn't read them. To my amazement, C.B. Mulder, who was about 45 years of years of age, had faked his way through to that point in his life. Tragically, the educational system had just passed him on and graduated him from high school. He had become rather successful in a lawn-keeping, landscaping business, but he had done it all without being able to read. And, and he was able to maneuver in his world and ask people to do for things for him that he couldn't do for himself. But when it came to, to picking up a pill bottle at home and opening it and knowing how many pills to give his wife and when to give them to her, uh, his world just kind of fell apart. But God's handshake in C.B. Mulder's life gave him hope. Somehow he believed that if he could go to these tutoring classes every week, those letters and numbers would begin to make sense to him. And so that's what he did. We started with the pill bottle. That's what we were supposed to do. We were supposed to start with the thing the person brought and teach them the words that had to do with whatever it was, you know, filling out a tax form or whatever it was. You started with the reason that brought them there. And so I said, CB, when you empty a pill bottle this week, next week, bring it. And so he, he brought me two or three pill bottles and we, we began to learn the words on the bottles so that he could begin to care for his wife as quickly as possible. God's handshake gave CB hope. The evidence of things not seen yet, but the belief that if he buckled down and did his homework, he could take care of his wife. We have a hymn in the United Methodist Church that's become very popular. It's called Hymn of Promise. And it's got a line in it that goes like this. In the bulb 
there is a flower in the seed, an apple tree. And every line ends by saying something God alone can see. God's handshake comes to some of us with the gift of hope attached to it. God's handshake also comes to us with love. I wish you could have known Clyde Latimer. I probably didn't know Clyde until he was uh, 70 years of age in that neighborhood for sure. Clyde had been a West Texas roughneck oil man most of his adult life. Uh, Clyde uh, had maintained his, his physical presence so that even in his older age, he was the kind of guy you'd walk into a room and your eyes would gravitate to him because he looked like that guy who probably played linebacker in high school, maybe in college, and if a scout had seen him, he might have even had a shot at being a pro. He was just that kind of guy. Uh, sometimes, you know, we watch these basketball players palm basket balls uh, Clyde Latimer could hide a basketball in his hand it, uh, it was it was that big uh, it was just amazing and so after I got to know Clyde Latimer one day I was sitting in his living room and he said uh, I'd like to tell you my story of how I got to know Jesus Christ I said great I'd love to hear it and he said well he said uh, I wasn't uh, much of a believer in my younger days. He said, in fact, most of the Christian art that I saw turned me off because Jesus looked so frail that a gust of wind would blow him over. That was the way Clyde put it. You know, this, this, this kind of Jesus who just never feet, never quite touched the ground, just sort of floats around. Let me just report to you today that that's not an attractive image to a West Tech oil field roughneck. That, that just didn't do it for Clyde Latimer. That just didn't carry the freight. His hands, he'd worked with oil for so long that his hands were, were tattooed with petroleum. His hands were, were clean, but they were still oily, if you know what I mean. That's the world he'd lived in. And the gentle Jesus, meek and mild, just didn't do it for Clyde but one day he was walking through the living room and his wife had left her Bible open to the 23rd Psalm for some reason Clyde noticed that and sat down picked up the Bible and started reading the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want and then you get to those verses yea though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I'll fear no evil. Then you get to that place. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup overflows. You set up a table for me in the presence of my enemies. And Clyde Latimer said, That moment reading that 23rd Psalm, In my heart I said to myself, I can love a God like that. Being the kind of guy he was, that's what he did. And for the rest of his life, he was a West Texas roughneck oil field disciple of Jesus. Because God's handshake was the handshake of love. Clyde Latimer could have sung for the rest of his life, Oh, love that will not let me go. I rest my weary soul in thee. Don't know about you, but I'm guessing that one of the reasons we keep coming back to church is because we realize we're wheat and weeds people. We've got some things we're happy about. We've got some things we're not so happy about. We've got things going the way we want them to go, and there are parts of our lives that may be not going the way we want to at all. It may be in us. It may be in friends and family and neighbors. It may be in the world gone mad. 
But we keep coming back here Sunday after Sunday in order to try to clean the lens off of our spiritual vision, to try to recalibrate our compasses around the things that matter most. And one of those things that matters most is the handshake of God that keeps being offered to us again and again and again and giving us faith and hope and love. Now, you Episcopalians have the good sense to know that this is the place where you get that, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. It's us Methodists who think once a month, once a quarter, or a few times a year. You know, it's kind of like it's kind of like the difference between going to the beach and having somebody throw a bucket of beach water on you. You know, it, I mean, it, you know, chemically it's ocean water, but there's a big difference between you know body surfing and and getting a bucket of ocean water thrown at you. Y'all keep coming back to the table. Because this is God's handshake right here. This is the place where heaven and earth reach down and touch each other, literally through the bread and through the wine, through the elements of human life that both came from the field, Matthew 13. This is, this is the touch point. This is the place. This is the place where God, like Abe Turner, says to you and to me, what brings you here? And we say, well, I need... And God gets up from behind the heavenly desk, comes around, extends his hand, and you shake on it. And in that moment, it's done. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.